0: Welcome to episode 51 of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and with me as always is Matt Leach.
1: Hello, how are you? Good. Good. Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, really good. I'm really excited. Our guest on this episode is the amazing, the unstoppable, (laughs) Jeremiah (laughs) O'Brien. Wow. Welcome to ADR.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for coming on. Yeah. This has been a long time. I'm really excited because we've got so much to ask you. And it's the start of a new year and it seems like 2016 was massive for you. Was it massive?
2: It was. It's still recovering. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And it's been a long time for me to be on this show because I've been a big fan for a long time as well. So it's nice to finally be here. We can just stop now, I think. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That was perfect. It's the bumper for every episode from now on. Yeah. Yeah. It is great. It is great to have you on. Definitely personify kind of like Australian creative industry. And champion it across. Well, she was
1: actually called the Australian Lettering Queen. (laughs) Wow! Print magazine, circa 2016. (laughs) How did that feel, being crowned? It's pretty.
2: It's pretty cool. I mean, I remember like being in design school, and you know, you kind of have these magazines, or you have these kind of things that you look up to. And I never really thought, I remember thinking in, in university, I never really would do typography every single day. So to have these kind of institutions and magazines saying these things about my work, it's, it's an honour. I feel great.
1: But how does it... Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a yes. sentence to you. And mm-hmm. I want you to complete the sentence. Jesus. Th- yeah. <laughs> we're just, we're just, we didn't I'm, discuss this. <laughs> so um, on the day I found out that... The New York Type Directors Club Typographic Excellence Award was awarded to me. I (laughs) immediately—I
2: think I squealed. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, or maybe I rang my mum. Because
1: that's huge. I mean, like as far as typography goes, that's kind of the biggest award, yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, because I feel like typography is such a specific thing as well. It was like it wasn't just a general design award, but it was the people who know their shit were basically saying like, (laughs) "Yeah, you're in." (laughs) So I was like, "Yes."
1: So where were you? What happened?
2: I feel like I was probably at my desk working and I got the email. Another
1: phone call. Actually,
2: I feel like it might have gone to my junk mail and I saw other people announce that they got in and I was kind of disappointed and then a week later it was like, oh Gemma, we didn't hear back from you. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So it was even better because I was like, oh, obviously I didn't get in and then boom. Just need to work harder. Yeah. (laughs) No, it was really awesome. So what happens in that
1: case? So they they nominate a whole bunch of people and then what, you go over there for an award. So
2: there's a few, like the Type Directors Club, is similar to you know Agda Awards, where you submit a project from the previous year. Um, then you know other ones like ADC in print. It's more like your whole body of work. Yeah. So with the Type Directors Club one, I remember thinking like for a while I'd wanted to enter, but with most competitions you have to pay the fees, yep. and it was like you know when is the right time or yep. when's the right project even as well. And so yeah, I put in the time and put in the entries, and then it was probably like a month later that I found out, and yeah, it was awesome
1: that's amazing <laughs> mm. we we talk about you know you talked about being at school mm. and um, and I want to ask you what I mean what type of student were you were you a good student or
2: um in some ways I was very <laughs> much like a super nerd right and you know would always get really into projects and give a hundred and fifty percent but then on the other side of it I would often hand in things late so it was kind of like I spent Put all these extra energy into it, but it's still you know two weeks late. So some tutors were okay with it if the quality of the work is really good, and then a few others were like sticklers really, for the rules. Yeah, roles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, cool. Did, but, um, did you have
1: a worse subject?
2: Um, I actually switched, so I went to Kofa and I did graphics environments and I think object design. And then about halfway through, I sw- switched to textile design. I'm really interested in doing like patterns. And my textile design teacher didn't like the fact that I had things in late. <laughs> I hope she's not listening right now. <laughs> but um.
1: So that was in two thousand and eight, though. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: that's
0: yeah. eight years. So just the context of Kofa as well. Kofa is yeah. really interesting in that it's kind of like a. It's almost like a generalist course. Yeah. So like skipping skipping majors isn't anything that is necessarily. Um, like it's it's quite common there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it is quite Because you get broad. to try a little yeah, bit of everything. It's kind of like a sampler.
2: Yeah. I feel like if you're not really focused or if you don't find what your thing is, you can kind of come out of it feeling a little bit lost. Whereas if you're mm. really like, this is my thing and I'm going to shape everything to fit within that, then you're probably, it's a good class but I think it might have who knows it's probably changed since when I was there <laughs> yeah
0: were you at were you at the Paddington yeah. side as well yeah cool, so you got the good years yes Yeah. I think my sister <laughs> was there she was there for the first year studying in Paddington just yes. doing whatever she wanted killing it yeah. loving it and then they went oh you're over at Kensington Made now careful. and she was
2: just
1: <laughs> shut it down yeah but you didn't start there did you you started no. in Brisbane
2: yeah I started in Brisbane so I did law school for half no for one year
1: I've got so many questions about this <laughs> Why Why? Here? Why law?
2: Well, I think I felt pressure from my school, to be honest, to do okay. like a smart career because I got good grades in high school, yeah. super nerd in high school. Never from my parents. My parents were like, you know, do whatever. But I remember thinking, oh, I should do a smart career. I did legal studies in high school. I thought this is good.
1: Quite enjoyed it, yeah.
2: Yeah. And then just got through maybe three quarters of the first year at uh, UQ, U, which is like UNSW in Queensland, and just was like, oh, my God. I can't be a lawyer. I think it was like the moment when I realised that what you study is then what you do in your life. Like it wasn't just yeah. another class at school. It was like, this is what you're going to be yeah. now. There, so, is, there is
1: that moment where you go, ooh. What? Yeah. Like I just kind of made this decision and now, ooh. So, yeah. so you were there in Brisbane and mm-hmm. doing law – and then swapped to come to COFA to do art? Or? I
2: switched basically and did probably, I think it was six months in uh, at QCA, which is also Queensland College of Art in Queensland, then moved to Sydney. Mm-hmm. So it was all probably in the space of a two-year period and I think I got a few credits from the law degree that were like my general subjects in the arts as well. Because they translate. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> so what
1: was it? I mean, you said smart, you wanted to do like a smart kind of thing, mm. but I mean, there's, you know, this. Being a scientist yep. or an accountant, or you know, why why law though? Why legal studies? And I
2: don't actually know. I think it was probably because it was also, I guess it was had a writing component and a thinking and a mm-hmm. reading component, which is something like language that I've already always been interested in. So if it was like you know between law and medicine, I felt more comfortable probably with law. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I don't really know. I also think that when you're coming out of school you're just too young to know like what the world is like you know to be able to make that kind of decision and that you can still change your career I I might change in a few months who knows do 2017
0: go back to the law
2: career yeah Yeah. I did think about that maybe specializing in like copyright or intellectual property but I don't think so wow
1: I, I imagine you've got quite a bit of experience in that now
2: well, yes, I guess just from learning on the job and yeah. also, I mean, nowadays as well if you Being think ripped about. Off, I mean, yes. Mean, yeah. Well, I mean, like I think it's probably more of a murky area yeah. than it has been in the past to hmm. to be specializing in. So maybe I'll just stick to design for now. <laughs> we'll see what happens.
1: So, but you so you've decided to go to art college, but where does the art kind of side come from because I mean, I think, you know, people talk about you being a typographer, a letterer, yeah. but you're an awesome illustrator as well. Like, you, you can draw the hell out of anything. So, I mean... Thank w- you. What was it called? Sp- this, I'm going to get it completely wrong. Spewbags.
2: Spewbag challenge, yeah.
1: I mean, if anything, that really proved that you could draw Chuck Norris like no one else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was probably more... I mean, like, the lettering didn't come into it. Like into my idea of design until much later. And I probably chose design because I didn't want to go out and straight away just study art. So there's probably like a series of levels of small meaning, decisions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But yeah. so I, you know, I was always creative, I always drew like in school and when I was growing up. Had I dropped out of law school and studied art, maybe it would have been a different thing. But I feel like design was just a more, you know, perhaps money-wise, a more reasonable alternative, or business-wise, for whatever reason. And now I look back and I don't really regret that decision because I like the idea of kind of sitting in between art and design. But um, once the lettering and the typography interest came along, it was almost like, okay, I'm really passionate about this. I got really into it. And then that started to shape my path. And every time I would deviate and go more just into illustration or something that didn't involve type, I'd inevitably find myself coming back to it for whatever reason it was, and it's probably also the industries. Like she's the go-to type girl, and back yeah. in whatever number of years ago that was, it wasn't typography wasn't as big as it, as it is now. So it was almost like a point of difference. And I probably just ran with that.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's great. I kind of linked to it a little bit before, but the, you know, it's eight years ago that you were at school, yeah, essentially. But I think what I've only really realized maybe in the last week or two, uh, as you know, we knew you were coming on. I was like, oh, cool. And but you googled you, me. <laughs> well, yeah. And, but just the whole. Um, you don't I mean, come up. You got to dig. A lot, <laughs> yeah. It's re- it's really only four years that you've really been focused yeah. on. That's an amazing. accomplishment. Which was surprising. Yeah.
2: It definitely yeah, because when I think about when I really started to do the work that people know now, like the images that come up if you Google my name or the people that know my work, it really is only from the last three or four years when I started freelancing Mm. or when I started with Jackie Winter Group and that was probably the beginning of, yeah. But I think it was probably like building up to that moment. So it was like... I don't know. Almost as as though the work that I'd done was suddenly had come to fruition, and all the projects, you know, with those years. So, do you think of fuel,
1: because obviously fuel uh, went under, basically yeah. bankrupt, which kind of forced your hand.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: fuel—that's fuel. That's fuel uh yeah the, the VFX, VFX, or, vfx or yeah
2: of course the company owned in sydney that folded animal logic so they oh no yes animal logic bought them and i worked Animal Logic yeah, as that's well. So so <laughs> just like all my previous jobs just bunching together <laughs> it's
1: further proof that you're in the matrix <laughs> <laughs> uh so do you think if that hadn't happened they hadn't gone bankrupt mm. do you think you would have still traveled the path that you've traveled
2: Yeah, it's hard to tell. It definitely was like a turning point where I had no other option but to go out on my own. Like I wasn't going to then look for another design job, another full-time design job because I had been, you know, freelancing on the side, doing the nine-to-five, coming home and doing a few other things. And it was only probably about a month before that happened with Fuel that Jackie Winter had approached me because a big job had come through them and the art directors had mentioned me. So it was kind of like let's do this job as a test and see what happens. So that was kind of an overlap. And I think it was just the right time. But
0: So just jumping in on that. So mm. you said I just kinda want to know a little bit more like yeah. why. Because most people most people might panic. And think, well, I just lost my full-time job. I panicked. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But (laughs) you said, you said, obviously, I'm not going to go get another full-time job, and I just kind of want to dive into that. Like, why was that decision so easy for you to make?
2: Well, I guess by that point, you know, I'd been at Fuel for probably maybe nine months, and prior to that, I had been at Animal Logic for just under a year, and in between freelancing, I did some stuff with Toby and Pete in their collective. So there was like, I remember some of that. Probably like Mm -hmm. two and a half. Years of not just focusing on illustration and lettering and typography, Mm. where I was like feeling out what else was out there. So it was almost like I. I knew what it was like to do that and right. now I thought okay well this is the opportunity but yeah I definitely panicked there was panic okay. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't like some smooth so I think I even actually went back to selling flowers at the markets because I was worried <laughs> that I wouldn't have money yeah Cool Ah, it's all <laughs> yeah. making sense So <laughs> so
0: if like Uber Eats was around back then yes, you could have been driving yeah, <laughs> Exactly Yeah Okay funny. Yeah. So
1: yeah. okay hold on are we is that kind of hinting at you know because you do use a lot of botanicals in yeah.
2: your Well I think it's probably a coincidence in that when I decided, when I was studying, I sold flowers in the market, yeah. so I was like a part-time job. Then I stopped when I started working full-time, then I came back. So it's probably like a love of flowers and yeah. botanicals and an excellent part-time job when you're fearful <laughs> that the work isn't gonna come in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's the amazing thing, and I think, that, so four years, and you've, you've done all this, and I think the other thing is just how much your work has, has changed. Because you always seem to be like kind of at the forefront or, or leading uh, the, the kind of charge or the trend. I guess it's caught a trend afterwards. But, yeah. Uh, and I and I think back to some early work that I saw of yours, which was you know blackboard work yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And yeah. that was like, I mean, that was four years ago. Yeah. And then you've kind of moved into the kind of hand lettering and, and then into calligraphy, I guess, mm-hmm. and then the big kind of type work. Yeah. I mean, almost every year you've kind of been like, bang. New thing, this yeah. is what I'm doing. So, what's 2017?
2: <laughs> oh my god, this is. I've been thinking about this because really? 2016 was definitely so the year of the mural. Is it like, a conscious yeah. thing
1: that you think about this?
2: I guess, like, it is partially conscious. It, it happened, like, if you mentioned the chalk trend and a lot of the work. I think it was like a process of realizing, okay, I'm doing this work and I'm getting paid for it and it's good, but it's not unique to me. It was kind of like a lot of it was driven by art directors saying, this is what I want to do. So it was yeah. almost like the calligraphy thing was like, actually, I want to do this. I want to try something new. So it was like every time I would experiment, then that would create either a new style or a new technique for me. Then like commercial jobs would be like, oh, now we want this. And so it was like, went into this cycle of right. like, okay, experiment, new, out there, recycle, right. everywhere it's happening now. Like okay, I need something new, which... Yeah, and almost. people want
0: the thing that you did for. Hey, can you do exactly what yeah. you did for them? But for <laughs> us, yes. <laughs> and then and suddenly you like, become the mural girl. Yeah, yeah,
2: but and it wasn't necessarily only me. It was almost like a worldwide trend, or sure. whatever the thing that people are latching onto. And there might be different people around the world doing all doing murals, but it's completely a unique style. Yeah. But it's just whatever the industry is latching onto at that time. So. I don't know what 2017 is going to be the defining thing, but it, I'm definitely constantly trying to push it without it having to always be like, well, scrap that, because I think it all kind of has value and builds up. But, mm. yeah,
1: I mean, I guess some of your latest stuff, though, has been um, temporary,
2: mm-hmm. which yeah. is
1: really interesting. I'm a massive fan of Goldsworthy
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and just that whole idea of building something that doesn't last. Yeah, What attracts you to that?
2: Well, I always had this like feeling, especially with um creating artworks, and then people would say, Oh, do you do prints? And I never really liked the idea of a print and I couldn't really work out what it was and I didn't really like the idea of having like stock that or things that I designed that were like building up that kept on existing. I really liked the idea of like as a creative you make something and then you immediately hate it after you've done it. Right. And then <laughs> it can go away. Get but rid of it. it. Yeah. yeah. And I think this then carried on to doing the exhibitions where it was temporary because... For a number of reasons, one was you could never install the exhibition until the previous show had finished, which meant you literally had every moment up until a week before the show to be working on the idea. Which, as someone who does everything last minute, (laughs) was like perfect.
0: So even the Monday was like (laughs) you you felt like you're on the deadline. Yeah, I got to do this all today. It has to be like totally under pressure. Cool. So
2: that was one thing, but then also I think then being in the gallery, you only had one week. To create most of the time The whole entire body of work That was painted So it was like Forcing me to just do it And it was like The energy just kind of Was really good And then it was only up For a short period of time So you had to experience it You had to be there I didn't really like the idea That it had to be bought I don't know I just you know, so what's the goal of an exhibition like
0: that? Like, is there a commercial side of it or is it just an artistic? Who pays for the well, space? Well, it
2: depends on different We're just promoting China sense. Heights? No, no, I mean, like in some China instances, heights. obviously, like with that show, I did have pieces that could be bought as well. So oh, okay. it's not yeah. necessarily always only the installation component, but that's just what right. really appeals to me. And I think initially that was probably because if I remembered being a kid and going to the art gallery, I always loved the installations. Like, it was always yep. about... You know, walking into a room that was fully immersive and I just always remembered those experiences more than an iconic artwork that was a painting and so I think that probably was part of the appeal of it has to be something that you go along to and maybe you remember like oh we went to Jim O'Brien's show it was up for a month or it was up for a week and and we were there and then but you still remember it, you still remember the experience of going to it and whether or not that's got anything to do with the fact that we experience everything digitally mm. or not, I think it probably all ties in. Yeah, except it, for Snapchat.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> it is a really funny thing. I remember, um, I don't know if you know, Tracy Emmons' bedroom, uh-huh. um, which I remember reading about and thinking, what a stupid idea, and then actually got to actually be in it, and it was like, wow, like this is, this is actually something special. Yeah. And it kind of ties into that. I mean, when you go and see a band or something like that and they mm. just play the album, don't talk to the audience, you're yeah. like... Phew. Could have just listened to the CD. Yeah. <laughs> or Spotify. When they talk to the audience and make it kind of unique and yeah. special for, for that particular audience, there's something extra.
2: Yeah. And I think that I don't know whether it's the time that, like the period of time where I've come up in, in the design and the art world, but it does feel like it's a very experience driven yeah. age. Like, you know, people, it's Instagram yeah. and Snapchat, it's all about being in a particular place at a particular time. And that has cultural value more mm. so than maybe another period where it was about owning a particular car or an object. Yeah. So I don't think mm. I was consciously thinking of that, but it's just probably coming from my own. Well, the world's changing around
0: you as well. You yeah. Know,
1: as you as you evolve. And so you're evolved. kind of saying that the, maybe the future that we we own experiences.
2: Yeah. Well, I think Which that's right nice. now almost. Yeah.
1: So what happens? And I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on a topic I love to- touching mm-hmm. on, uh, VR. I guess. Mm-hmm. So when we can. Um, I want to see what it's like for Gemma to actually create a piece of work, so I can I can throw on my goggles and mm-hmm. actually become you and actually see that. So what happens at that point? Like, do we? Because then I can own own your experience, I guess.
2: So are you talking about someone else being in the position of the artist? So it's basically like yeah. recorded like my paint strokes, and then you get to. Well, I think that would be interesting from the point of view of process in almost like one step beyond. Video, which behind is massive right now, or, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the stop motion of something being painted, or maybe a little bit more in depth behind the pr- like the time that it would take. But I don't think you could ever really feel the same thing that an artist felt. I don't mm. know. I could be completely wrong. If you think about it the same way for if you went to a rock concert and like what suddenly you're in the position of the lead singer is that what you mean like I don't know I feel like if you're not actually slash behind
0: the scenes yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like
2: if you've got the crowd cheering for you but you know that it's not really it's you? It's not for you. Yeah. Would it be the same? <laughs> not saying that they wouldn't be cheering for you. <laughs> so so, so you,
1: you have a crowd cheering for you, <laughs> No, you? no, no. I was <laughs> switching to
2: a, uh, to a rock band analogy.
1: Because I guess the, the – I mean, Flynn just mentioned it very quickly. The behind-the-scenes video mm. is really important, isn't it, for you? Just yeah. so people can actually get – and I've heard you speak before where you said it's actually really important for clients. Yeah. So they understand that it's it's not a thing that I can just pull out.
2: Yeah, I think there's a few, like, there's two sides of it. One is that, you know, in the past probably even two or three years, not that long, this behind-the-scenes video has become really popular for a few reasons. Like, if you think of Seb Lester, the calligrapher, he's got, like, a million followers on Instagram, people just, like, enjoy watching a yeah. human creating something perfectly. There's something quite meditative about exactly. it. So, exactly. Yeah. And so I think there is an appeal, but then I also think there is, like, a you can commercialise that process. And you can orchestrate the behind the scenes in a way that, you know, good advertisers know that that appeals. And you can kind of, you know, you can see it in lots of ads. It's like, we're not just going to show you this car, we're going to show you this real person who's a scientist looking at the wheels (laughs) and (laughs) has an iPad out, like a futuristic looking iPad. Yeah. There's an ad out at the moment where they have real people come and their real reactions. So, right. I think there's like
0: the car ad, yeah. Then they're kind of like, I thought this was a different brand or yes. something, which was weird because yeah. they talked down the brand. We exactly. will not talk about the brand,
1: but it was weird. <laughs> yeah. And so like so in it's the it's like, de- like a double negative kind of thing there. Right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Exactly. And so yeah. with the design world, I feel like there's the real behind the scenes, and then there's the like yeah. the fabricated. Behind well, the let's scenes. just get stuck into it then because
0: <laughs> yeah, this is something that I think is this is this has come up so much for us mm. um, lately people that we interviewed after adobe max essentially like they're invited because they have a big following people within their community are interested in Mm -hmm. following them i think if they had five followers it would be hard to justify flying them around the world and getting them to do something regardless of how good it is Mm -hmm. so we're speaking to a couple of people and across the board everyone's kind of like it's it's a necessary evil almost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? are you
2: talking about like Influential Correct. accounts and doing jobs. When you say necessarily evil, like they they realize that it's what it is and it is what it is, but sure. you do it anyway. Right. It didn't want to be able to then spend the rest of your time doing the real. Yeah. Create. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a pathway yeah. to be able to do what I want to do, and yeah. it seems to work, and it's better than alternatives. Definitely. Well, not I th- that I love it, but it's.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but I think that that also <laughs> applies to any commercial work as an illustrator or an sure. artist. There's a point that you reach where you have to decide. Okay, I'm going to break away from this one thing that I really want to do. I'm not going to work for big brands. You know what I mean? Whatever yeah. if you decide to be cool. a commercial artist, there's going to be a point where you question your values in yeah. terms of like how far are you willing to go to, you know, use your art to sell. Sure. And everyone ha- so I feel like it's just another form of that. It's just a little bit more unclear because it's not necessarily, mm. you know, sometimes I'll be asked to create an illustration and it'll only exist on social media, but other times I might just be asked to attend an event or yeah. Instagram you know sure. Yeah. and my my thing is usually it has to somehow relate to the work so once upon a time I might have said yes to more social things that were just me doing whatever mm. whereas now I'm like okay well it has to still be relating to creating artwork or something So creative. you slowly like
0: start forming your own kind of reverse briefs back Yeah like, I yeah. think so Yeah,
2: but I also think that the audiences will become more savvy and just maybe well, as you, shape as, yeah, yeah as you said
0: like the behind the scenes even that sort of thing used to be Let's assume that it was spawned from a genuine check it out. I'm doing this thing. Yeah. I'm live doing it. And people love it. Mm. And you're right, advertisers and everyone else taps into that yeah. market and starts orchestrating that scene. Mm. And you're right. The next step is people catching on. Yeah. And then that becoming part yep. of the curation. And so we kind of need to find the next
1: thing. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. a funny thing. So when I saw cool. the David Jones, mm-hmm. which which had you in it mm-hmm. modeling, and I didn't know what it was about. Yeah. And I was like. Gemma's modeling?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where did you see it? Online or I, in I,
1: I think someone just sent me a picture. Yeah, and I was like I looked at it and I was like, is that Gemma? <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> But then, then I, I don't
2: think it. I was allowed to smile. It was really difficult for me. Really? <laughs> Obviously, just so
1: the audience knows, I read about it and it was like David Jones had chosen 10, I think, like yeah. like up-and-coming artists and then kind of done a kind of fashion shoot yeah. but also talked about your art. So yeah. completely understand after I saw that. Yeah. But I do want to know about the experience. Like, what was that like?
2: What, the getting my picture taken? Yeah. But like, well, actually, when I was like... 17 between I was 15 and 17 I did do some real modelling that was completely unrelated to so I did have a little bit of experience but I never really was into that whole world so I guess for me that side of it as I said before like not being able to smile and I feel it's almost just like another form of a fabricated version or like an orchestrated version of yourself so I mean that campaign it was you know, as you saw when it kind of rolled out, was different people and it was linked to the work. But mm. I always just kind of get a bit awkward now. I feel like if it's not really, like, me as I am, I just feel a little bit embarrassed. But, yeah, okay. yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I can imagine it's not... All, like, you couldn't possibly communicate everything. It's kind of like, hey, yeah. here's the thing, here's what we're going to do, yeah. here's what your side, here's kind of what we do, and then you get there and they could just change the table. Yeah, and, and you're I like, guess well, it's also... I mean, my options are storm off or... <laughs> Stand here
1: and awkwardly try to fake a smile. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we were speaking to Tim, um, Tim Goodman, yeah. and he was talking about how this this idea of that he really tries to use his position of like speaking and, and mm-hmm. people wanting to see him to try mm. and do some good for conferences and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Do you feel that sort of pressure as well? Because you,
2: um, like, do I feel that I should use my influence for good yeah. <laughs> rather than evil? <laughs> um, I guess yes and no. Like, I feel like. I, don't, I once upon a time really thought that connecting your your image, like and you, to the work that you do and building that profile was really important. Whereas now I very much am more of like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on doing the work, and it's about the work being good. And I feel like I've built my audience around, you know, expecting it to be uh, the next thing in a style or a technique within typography and lettering, rather than building my image as Gemma O'Brien independently of the work. So mm. I definitely think that it is important and as it's a younger and younger audience or if it's young designers, there is definitely like, you know, a bit of a you know, you have to think about how what that influence is and how yeah. you're shaping a younger Well that
0: kinda of leads me to another to another question because you do have a lot of followers online, but also people that love your work. Clearly there are people looking at your work that probably have a collection of your stuff they've don't, got a file. I don't, don't think I've met anyone who doesn't like Gemma's work <laughs> right obviously. but I mean I mean, that's that's obviously great and it's very important but it also does bring that pressure like what do you communicate to these people I'm sure mm. at every conference every talk every workshop mm. people want to have a chat to you afterwards yeah they're asking you the kind of common questions that we won't kind of talk about now but like what's that like Like a bit of pressure to be looked up to
2: well I think it's like online it's completely different to real life like whenever someone comes up to me after a talk and asks me a question or tells me a story it's an instant like I feel very like emotionally connected or like I feel like very happy or feel very honored or I realize that this is real people who I'm having impact. I've had you know, kids come, and come up to me and they're like, I came to your workshop when I was 17 and now I'm studying design. So I'm like, awesome. it's real stories. And I think that's really great. I feel like it's a bit harder online to have that feeling. I feel quite disconnected from right. Instagram audiences. And I also feel like just because there's a big group of people saying, oh, my God, we really like this. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Do you know what I mean? Like because I know of other artists whose work I don't think is very good. No, I'm not gonna mention any names and I actually (laughs) can't think of anyone specifically, but or it doesn't even have to be an artist, or it could be just a public figure and they've Mm. got a huge audience. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that what they're saying or what they're doing or what they're creating is good. So I feel like it's a it's an amazing thing when it's like these real experiences of people coming to workshops and advancing their skills. But the online component of what does this equate to anything, really. So that online stock
0: is just not very valuable, really,
2: no, no, no. That's not true. <laughs> don't no, think I that's think, exactly. No, what I she do say. think it's valuable, and I do think that you can't ignore like a social media audience. But I, sure. def, I don't think that is any indicator of the work being good. Right. Yeah. Okay. Within yeah. a particular like specialized industry, and yeah. I think yeah.
1: And it must get weird, like you know, you get ten likes, and you're like that. Obviously, does something to your ego. And twenty likes, oh my god! And then then a hundred likes, and then you know a hundred thousand likes, and then it's kind of like oh my God, Like at that point you must go, hold on, this is not, there's there's, mm. there's different levels here.
2: Yeah, and I mean, there have been times where I posted something where it's not necessarily my work or it's it's like maybe a picture of a really simple but beautiful font in a book, right? And I'm like, this is beautiful, but this is something I wouldn't refer And not many people like it, and I almost like get annoyed. I'm like, <laughs> no, this is good. But then I also think, well, you build an audience based on knowing yeah. what they respond to. And I mean, like... If you think of all those trends that we talked about, like the mural thing or anything, calligraphy, it's almost like a feedback mechanism. Like you create something, you see what people think, and then it can mm. shape what you do from there. Mm. I think it's a, I don't know, it's, I find it very interesting. Like I don't hate the fact, I don't think it's meaningless to have a big audience, but I sure. think it's important to question, you know, how does that relate to the work itself and that sort of thing.
1: Mm. So can I take you back? Based on that, just and also what we talked about a little bit before, and you said you don't like this kind of idea of like creating stuff, merchandise, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But most people in your position would be starting to look at like how can I monetize, or you know, I've got a big audience, I've got people who really who are really engaged. How mm. can I like um, build a passive income or something? That doesn't appeal to you.
2: I've heard the word passive income mention, mentioned to me for a few times, and I don't, I don't know. I'm not completely opposed to it, but I think that I know what I like in terms of my process. And I like at the moment I see advertising work as the thing that funds the things that I yeah. want to be creating or the things that maybe you would never really have a budget to do or these side projects. I just have never really thought of it as like, what's this Jem O'Brien product, or should I open a web store? I mean like I don't, haven't even had a website really the whole time. Right, yeah. It's been my agent websites that yeah. people have found my work. So I don't really know it's just a feeling that I haven't really wanted to create things I like the idea of creating images or ideas Mm. or experiences but I just haven't really been into stuff Mm. and maybe there'll become a point where I'll have to be more realistic about saving (laughs) money and I'll be like you know what I'm gonna (laughs) open a web store (laughs) yeah I don't know I don't know exactly what it is Gemma O'Brien
1: tea towels that's that's (laughs) all I'm looking for Nice. Oven mitts, <laughs> oven
0: mitts. Yeah, it's got to be Australiana, right? So well, it's got to be like uh, mm-hmm. the cover for Your Hills Hoist or barbecue kind of the apron. barbecue apron. Yeah. Nice, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Gemma
2: Fryan. <laughs> did you plan that? No, that's I swear to God not I didn't. We, like... <laughs> and I'm really <laughs> proud
0: of myself because I love how punny a lot of your work is. So <laughs> that's I'm <amazing>. done. <laughs>
1: what well, no, we just found. I can't title. go. I can't go higher than this,
0: Gemma Um... Wow,
2: that was good.
1: I'm really
0: proud of myself. Um, speaking of side projects, yeah, because um, oh. you mentioned kind of commercial work um, funding. Mm. funding and, side projects. and
1: you've spoken in the past about this idea of that you're not at the point where you can say, "Sorry, I'm working on a personal project to to a commercial client." Yeah, are you I feel- there? Now?
2: Well, I feel like because I travel so much and with conferences, it's, I feel like conferences, art projects or exhibitions kind of are all bolted together in this. I'm not doing the commercial work. So there have been like scheduling things where I've turned down commercial work. But I'm not like at the point of like Stefan Segmeister, I'm going on a you know, it's taking about a, a year six, off six six yeah. About a yeah, I'm not at that point yet. So Yeah. But I also actually you... I, I do like the balance of having some commercial work because I think it forces me to have more structure and right. in the other work that I do because I feel like it's too easy just to spend forever and have no real limits if you're creating something just for yourself. You get or, kind of
0: out of control, right? Yeah. Look back and think, wow, I haven't taken a break in so long. Yeah. Well, Matt and I were discussing yeah. that kind of idea of work-life balance and... Do you ever sleep? Because it looks like you're doing stuff so much, yeah. um, which is which is a common question. I was sort of saying, well, I from your Instagram and the discussions we've had over the last little bit of time organizing this, I would noticed that you took like a week off in in the Bahamas, <laughs> and I'm like, I think she's got this. Sh- I think she's got it locked down. And, so and we have I was on a debate. ship Do
2: that you- had no reception. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, how I think, perfect
1: I think, is that? I think before the Adobe Max, after AIGA, mm. you went to uh, Cuba. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. So is Is that that how you run things? Like um, do something, take some time off?
2: Yes. Well, definitely, I mean, the majority of the time if I'm going overseas for a conference or a workshop or a mural, I do feel like I need to take advantage of the opportunity of being so far away from Australia that, you know, I should have a little bit of a holiday. So, But I also feel like there's no, like, it's no different when I'm traveling, I'm usually working when I'm here, I'm usually working. So if I can fit in a holiday for a few days, whenever it fits, then that's just the freelance lifestyle, you know? Right. So yeah. yeah, it's not something that's super planned, but it's definitely probably more work and less holiday, but I think I've gotten better. Kind at of take it where you can get once. it. You kind of like, well, I'm going to be yeah, here anyway. Exactly. Maybe I'll come back a
0: couple of days later. Exactly. Go two hours and I'll be somewhere yeah. I've like never been before. Come yeah. back on someone else's dime. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Quite
0: cool.
1: How much did you travel in 2016? Because it seemed, oh my God, it seemed so like you much. constantly on the yeah, go. Yeah,
2: I feel like at least every month there was probably a wow. week or two weeks and then bigger blocks in between. So it's probably my biggest travel year.
1: Is that something you want to keep doing?
2: Um, I definitely don't think i would keep doing it forever, but at the same time I feel like at this point in my career it's like a perfect opportunity because I still feel like even though lots of people know my work, especially in Australia many times I'll go to America and I'll do a talk and people are like, oh, my God, this is the first time I've heard about your work. So right. it's still, for me, I feel mm. like it's like you write the book and then you go on the book tour and I feel like <laughs> when I travel, it's like going on a book tour. and Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's kind of the promotional side of, you know, and then I get back here and I'll spend more time in the studio. So, mm. yeah. So, so when you get back into the studio,
1: mm. what's your week look like then? Are you – um, is, is there like a lot of times like – must-see boyfriend, must go for a wall,
2: must do this. No, it's not very structured. I'm very – I'm not – yeah, I'm not like a 7 till 8 a.m., this 9 till 2, whatever. It's very much like I know when I work best and it's usually at night. So probably the majority of the actual work is done between maybe 4 in the afternoon and 2 in the morning. Then I'll like sleep in, probably get – I sleep more than I used to. When you said, do I ever sleep? I definitely didn't used to sleep. I don't know how I did it, but now I'm more of a six to eight hours kind of person. Um, Then during the day, I'll usually do some emails in the morning, go outside, go for a bike ride, go for a swim, and then lock into the night working periods.
0: It seems to be the freelance... Model, right? Because you got other freelance <laughs> other friends.
2: Other people do this, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One. No. But I can't do it. I'm so I'm a morning person. Ah, that's so, the damn
2: yeah.
0: yeah, and yeah. with with kids
1: I'm My waking messages up. me
0: at like nine o'clock in the morning, I'm like,
1: dude, oh, man. I'm asleep. <sighs> I got up at four this morning. So
2: wait, no, I, no,
1: that's I'm, not a wake no, up. There is no, no <laughs> four in the morning. <laughs> I'm just trying to get in front of the kids waking up, yeah. So yeah. I'm trying to get a couple of hours that are just like solid like and I spoke to someone yesterday and he said, Oh no, I get up at three and I was like, Okay, yeah, I need to <sighs> need to do that.
2: Maybe it's having kids though. I feel like if I had yeah. kids, maybe I it feel would like be... the kids, forces you to.
1: Yeah. No, but I mean, we we talked to Dan Stiles, and we've spoken to quite a few people who who are night workers, mm. and and I, I keep on thinking, wow, I, I am so not like I get to like maybe eight, yeah, and like I can't hold a conversation. So I don't know. How do you do it?
2: Maybe it's just one coffee? of. I, I used to have a lot of coffee, like even into the night, but now I just if I'm on a roll or if I'm like have something to do. I'll just keep on going until I get tired. And I feel like during in the morning, I just take too long to get into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas at night, my brain's probably a little bit more relaxed and I find myself being res- less resistant to ideas. So okay. I'll like, wow. yeah, I, I only realised this recently where it's like the later it gets, I'm like, yeah. And then the next day I might be like, oh, what was I thinking? But it still <laughs> might look good. So like creatively, I feel like it's a good tool if I'm doing like drawing or coming up with ideas, whereas... Daytime is like maybe emails, or if I have to do a quote or think about something a little bit more rationally, than I'll do that during mm. the day. Yeah, Are I'm you,
0: certainly the opposite of that. The biggest trap I can fall into is starting to do the admin and emails and try to get them out of the way yeah. in the morning. And then I'm like, well, I guess it's lunchtime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe I'll go to the pub yeah.
1: and then kind of come back and kind of, yeah. yeah lose I'm, a day that I'm way. Concluded. So I'm the opposite. I yeah. don't, I, the days where I've kind of woken up and like, oh, I just need to do this admin stuff, mm. and I put my effort into that, and then by the, yeah, and then I'm done. Mm. So, I mean, how do you – I mean, because obviously you've got this big following. How do you – at nighttime, mm. obviously, America's awake. Yeah. And how do you – do you switch off, like, any kind of distractions or
2: um, – I think it, I naturally feel like there's less distractions at night. Probably just because it's dark. i like, I can't really go outside now. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'll get lured by the sun during the day. But um, initially, it was probably because I, when I didn't have an American agent, it was just Jackie Winter Group, there were no emails at night. It was kind of like – I can just work, yeah. and not be distracted. So now I have Jackie Wintergroup and Levine Lovett in America, which is amazing to have both um, of them representing me, but it does mean that into the night there's, it's a constant... stuff happening. Yeah. But I think in some ways that's good because often creative directors or art directors on a job will want to give you instant feedback or they might want to jump on the phone. So if I'm awake at 2 a.m. and I'm like, yeah, let's chat now, it's faster than waiting a whole other day and then they're yeah, in night Yeah, because they
1: lose a the day as well. Yeah, yeah. so I feel yeah.
2: like it's, it works... It works for now.
1: So Jackie mm. Winter just cannot call you before twelve.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do actually think they know it's usually. Really- <laughs> well, if they would see me like send a file at three a.m., they're like, "Okay, let's not call Jeremy until like after 10. A. Yeah,
0: yeah, know. yeah. You know? So that's very considerate yeah. of them. Um, shout out to Jeremy actually because he did he did end up connecting us in the end, which, oh, is, yes. which is which is which is great. Good, hi Jeremy. Good man. <laughs> um, hi Jeremy. It's embarrassed Jeremy Wattsman for a while. Um, congratulations on the second baby, by the way. There we go. It was like two days ago. We're getting towards the end, but there's so much more that we want to talk about. kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Australian culture. What's Mm. what's great is this is called Australian Design Radio, which is a name that we just took and no one told us we couldn't. But you, you seem to bring a lot of... Australian kind of culture into a lot of your work, mm-hmm. which I think is really unique. I mean, we're a much smaller market. Like, I love it. Like, Tell Him His Dream and Mural was the last one that I found because I wanted to find something fairly yeah. recent. Um, I know it through your work, through Bag speed mm-hmm. Challenge stuff and everything. What's the one? The um, partridge in a pear tree toilet it, paper is artwork. Is that
2: Australian? Is it partridge in a pear like the twelve days of Christmas?
0: Oh, let's just scrap that out.
2: No, no, no. It might. I mean, I think that designing for toilet paper is Australian. Well, cause it, well,
0: because it's yeah, it is. It so we
2: just going to leave that in? So,
0: all right, we'll leave the whole thing. Yeah, in, that's fine. Um, but partridge in a pear tree was um, for the Who Gives a Crap? Yeah, which I believe is an Australian company. Definitely. So yes, that's that's what I meant. Yeah. And I definitely think that their
2: whole like the way the Who Gives a Crap as a title for yeah is definitely very very coming Australian. back to the punny thing. Yeah, like, totally. Yes,
0: I will do a. T- yeah. Toilet paper artwork for you. Um, so the question lies somewhere around kind of tapping into the Australian culture mm-hmm. and using that within your work here and internationally. Yeah. And there's a question in there somewhere.
2: Definitely. I know the question and I think I know the answer. Um, <laughs> I remember thinking like every designer or every creative at one point, maybe not anymore, is like, okay, I'm going to be a creative, I'm going to move to New York. Do you know what I mean? Like, or I'm going to move away from Australia. There's awesome. this drive. Yeah. If you get yep. good, you leave, right? 100%. And I used to think that. And then I started to travel a lot more and I was like, actually, Australia is awesome. I remember once in an interview, someone asked me, Gemma, all the best letterers live in Brooklyn. Why don't you live in Brooklyn?
0: <laughs> or oh, when are you moving to <laughs> Brooklyn? Yeah. <laughs> when you want to get serious. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> in the last,
2: like, two or three years, I've just started to love, well, one, living in Australia more and more, but yep. also realising that, where you're from is unique yeah. and more and more the the fact that designers can be connected on their phones, they can see work from around the world, trends can f- spread really, really fast, you need something that is somehow unique mm. or it's good to tap into something that has history or heritage or that's local or important to you. So I don't think at the time like I did the Tell Him He's Dreaming thing I was thinking that but more and more I'm like, well, actually, you know, Australia hasn't had this huge history of or celebrated history of graphic design in the same way that maybe America or the United Kingdom where there's this yeah. big printing history has. So why not more than ever and I think in the last 10 years there's so many amazing designers here doing amazing things that it's the perfect time to embrace, you know, your local culture.
0: I agree. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's like one of the main reasons we did this. Yeah, we did this whole thing. (laughs) That's (laughs) perfect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
1: that's that's like another thing, another advertising thing that we can do. Just a little notch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) So you've worked for some massive brands, and like Coke and Qantas and Mm -hmm. even Playboy, which I thought was really interesting because it was the first non-nude Playboy. (laughs) Yeah. Is Is there a brand or a client that you would love to work for?
2: Oh, I don't actually think there is I mean like it is always great I feel like when big established brands do ask you to create something there's definitely a feeling of like wow that's awesome because mm. this brand like people know it it's something like when you work in yeah. the industry and you can tell your mum like I remember when I did the thing for Woolworths it was like everyone yeah. in Australia knows Woolworths and so your mum's like oh, no, <laughs> I like, you know Woolies. Yeah. so there's that like familiar <laughs> finally have it. an understanding exactly. of what you do yeah. 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 so that's what you do Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's always awesome but I don't have that like I must work for I don't know whatever brand it might be. I feel like maybe in design school that was a thing. It was like you had this idea that once you work for big brands, then right. you've made it. But now I think that the best jobs that come through are never usually the ones that are for the big brands. They're usually either this side project or the thing that you've mm-hmm. kind of thought of doing for a really low budget for a, yeah. you know. So there, yeah, I think it's great, but there isn't anything that I really. Do you have moments
1: when you're doing personal work and you go, "Oh, actually, this would work really well for"? Oh yeah, the- I've got like a few ideas where I'm like, "This is
2: really good," but I've got to yeah. wait because so you've got something it's in not- your pocket, yeah. like safety. or I'm like, "This would be great yeah. for this brand," or you know what I mean. So, but I think it's always waiting for the right opportunity, and then also not just like giving that idea away. Yeah, you know. So,
0: mm. so your recent big world trip, talking to all these people, you doing workshops and talks and stuff like Mm -hmm. not everybody loves public speaking most people I know like don't really enjoy the process of it Mm -hmm. but like from a collective level is it is it the workshops is it someone taking a selfie with your mural is it running into friends or meeting new people like what's out of everything like what is the best thing
2: I think it's probably all of those things. I think that what you said, running into friends, I mean, ran into you guys at yep. Max, which I was is awesome. Giving you some, like, hanging yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that over the years, the more that. I've done conferences there are more people that you know like so Timothy Goodman we like have literally done four of the same conferences in the last year so you have these kind of familiar faces doing like circuit kind of thing yeah exactly or if you come up with the same time with certain people so you have that kind of connection so I think that's great but I think it's also just actually being out there and interacting with people because Mm. you know you see all the Instagrams or you see the studio but the majority of the time like when I'm working is complete isolation and even though I'll be talking (laughs) to my agents on Mm. the phone or on email the majority of the time is literally just me sitting in, you in your room. attic. Yeah, right? in I'm in, in the attic, yeah. just there. And I mean, I love that way of working. Like it yeah. works for me, but I do that social interaction. need the other side. Yeah. yeah, and so it's it's a good to have such, such extremes,
0: isn't it? Yeah, because Matt, Matt and I have been working from home a lot lately, and then we start having a conversation, and Matt and I, one of us will forget what we're <laughs> we're about to say, and I'm like, we haven't spoken to humans in a while, <laughs> have we? <laughs> Lose it a little yeah. bit. It's yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you go from like kind of. Nothing too extreme. Yeah. yeah, and I
2: think it's even more awesome. Like to travel to the other side of the world. Like I did this workshop when I was in Spain, and it's the first time I'd ever done a workshop in Europe before. And mm. so, even though I was in Madrid, there were people who'd come from Poland and Switzerland and like all of these places around oh. Europe. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing yeah, that one Europe's that these people that. know my work and that they've travelled this distance to come. So that's really, really nice to have, you know, these people around the world. And then you realise that it's quite connected. And yeah. that's great, isn't
0: it? Yeah.
1: Online of that, mm. like you know, you go back to your first conference that you ever did,
2: mm-hmm. Berlin,
1: <laughs> two thousand and eight. Yeah, and you were still a student at that point.
2: Mm-hmm. Ha- second year, I it's think.
0: Jürgen,
1: Jürgen, Jürgen. How, <laughs> Jürgen? Mm-hmm. Jürgen. how Jürgen. have things changed? Like, ha- have you learned how to do a conference now?
2: Oh, totally! Like I remember when I did that first conference. Like I literally was I can't scared you did that for as well. a year or six months or however long it was before it was like the biggest thing. I think I probably nearly had a mental breakdown like before <laughs> I went to Berlin. Like it was so scary.
0: How good is the like ig- like blissful <laughs> ignorance?
2: Oh, I think yes, definitely. Because I feel like had I. You know, had I switched careers later in life, I had no experience and someone said, do you want to come and do this? I would no way, no way I would have said yes. It was definitely like being young and just like, yeah, I'll just do this. And then it probably, like, if I had never done that, maybe I wouldn't enjoy public speaking now. But so much has changed, like, since then. And there was a big period. I mean, as you were saying before, like, the majority of the projects that people know or the work that is, like, known to be mine from is only from the last four, four years. So yeah. between doing that conference and then finishing university, I remember just feeling like it was like I was a bit of a phony almost. Do you know right. what I mean? Like I knew what good work was and I hadn't done any work yet and yet I was speaking in a design conference where I'd been to, you know, I'd been to semi permanent I'd looked up to these people talking and I, I knew... That I wasn't that person, so I feel like there was a big block of time where I wanted to actually like create mm. work and do all these things. So when the time I did actually come back and start doing speaking again, I actually felt like, okay, well, I'm telling my story and showing my work as opposed to being this. I think you got. Old, I you know? think you
0: got pushed out of the nest, <laughs> <laughs> and then you just had to fly, which most, which most students, most graduates, most designers. Never get until they've already made it. Mm. I think it just forced you to do things and figure it all out yeah. a lot quicker. And,
1: and fairness to you, you, you really knew your stuff. Like you, you, you knew the history and you were super passionate about it. I think that rubs off on people. As I think well, you, so. we
0: began. Yeah, we began this by you talking about you being a nerd, but clearly yeah. because you did know that stuff and you obviously didn't need cliff notes or sheets to yeah. kind of remind you because you did. You kind of lived and breathed it.
2: Yeah, I think it yeah. also was like um, you know my interest was in typography, which is this very not, I don't want to say nerdy, but it's very, like, much in history. And it's very much like if you do the wrong thing, you will be told by someone high up in the type world. You know what I mean? And it was, like, this rule-based thing. So I felt yeah. like, oh, my God, I have to live up to this, like, big typographic, like, I don't know what it was. It was in my head. But, I mean, it is kind of a real thing. And then it took me a little while to realise, that well, that's just one aspect of working with typography. And I realised that I didn't want to be a type designer, and suddenly that there's all these other aspects of working yeah. with lettering. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be about fonts even. And it took me probably a little while to realise that as well and use that in my work, I think.
0: So less about fonts, more about
1: communication, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Like yeah.
1: I just really like the idea of um, the Art Directors Club of New York turning up and saying, sorry, Gemma, we didn't like that last piece. <laughs> we, we have to take back the award. <laughs>
2: I feel like it's a real fear. <laughs> how,
0: great would that, how great would that be? We'll start our own award system, yeah. but you rent the award.
1: Ooh. And oh. we
0: take it back if your, if your work drops.
2: Oh, my oh. God. That's
0: so mean. So I had the award
1: for a while, but then I, yeah, then oh I lost God. it. Oh, yeah. my God. That's a that's a real downward that's spiral, harsh. though. Dude. That's pretty great. <laughs> we'll make it happen. That takes us to the end of the episode, guys. Really? And I, and I should just point out because right. most of our episodes are barely um, biographical, but we haven't really touched a lot on that simply because you did a really amazing talk at um, Adobe Max, uh, which was entitled The Future of Typography is Human, mm-hmm. where you kind of went through your history. And I think any listener should definitely go and check it out. It's about 55 minutes and it's, it's really worth watching So because um, I thought it was a really good talk. And you also get to see, I mean, the amazing thing was all the work you showed was all your work. Like, that just shows, like, the last four years. My God, I don't know how you've done it. But Flynn reckons there's two of you, or maybe six of you. We were joking about it a little bit before. I am yeah. a Gemini. So oh, there we go. Flynn's now. You
2: heard it here first. Conspiracy starts.
0: Cool. So that does take us to the end. So what we do at the end is we kind of go around the table, like, where would you want to point people towards? Instagram, maybe. Mm-hmm. You, we've already discussed that you don't believe in websites. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but yeah, Instagram.
2: Yeah, Instagram, Mrs. Eves 101. Mrs. Eves? Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: we didn't even talk about Mrs. Eves. Oh, well. Oh, that's okay. Yes. That's, that, that's all on the, uh, on the video yes. anyway. So yeah, cool. Oh, you dive into the. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, Matt? Uh, Leechworth on Mr. Twitter. Not Mr. Not Mr. Matt. Not
0: Mr. Matt. Mr. Matt <laughs> And you can follow me on everything at Flynn Tracy. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find this episode and more at ausdesignradio.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at ausdesignradio. Thanks, Gemma. Thanks, Thanks Gemma.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks.